Hello, friend, and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, and design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week, I bring you a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. This is the only CBD company I have come to really trust with my wellness. They have zero THC, meaning you can't get high from their products. They're organically farmed and they're gluten-free. I love sleep and when I don't get it, I feel like my entire day, my entire week, my entire life is thrown off And during these times of stress, I started taking Soul CBD's Sleepy Gummy before bed, and I swear by them. Most nights, all I need is a half of a gummy, and these little babes have put my sleepless nights behind me with one delicious fruity bite. Their unique blend of CBD, CBN, and terpenes helps you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and improve your overall quality of sleep. I always wake up refreshed. It's my my new bedtime besties. So our friends over at Soul CBD, I contacted them and I got a discount code for 15% off your order. Just head on over to ashleystall.com slash soul. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash S-O-U-L to access our special page with them. And don't forget to use the code U-Turn at checkout. That's Y-O-U. T-U-R-N. Now let's get into this week's episode. U-Turn friends. It's another week here on the show. And we all know how much I love talking to psychologists, psychotherapists, everything with the mind. And after 18 years of practicing psychotherapy, we have Dr. Sam Rader. She has moved on from her psychology career and developed her own approach called the source code. So source code is more quantum than mental, and it's more spiritual than psychological. And the goal of it is not just to cure symptoms, but to allow people to really connect with their essence, um, which is what she believes, you know, a vibration of ease and joy and love. She believes that our early childhood experience writes a source code in our unconscious mind, which then determines the rest of how our life story our ways of being unfold. And she helps other people rewrite their code for a healthier, better life. And she's a team of source code solvents who hold space for people to shed their defenses. And today I've been really excited to talk to her about how our parenting experiences from our parents shape our personalities. She has 12 coping styles that we adopted during childhood, which helped us then, but maybe hurting us now. So we are going to talk about it Hi, Dr. Sam. Thank you for being here. Hi. Hi, Ashley. I'm so happy to be here. Okay. So what got you into this? Because I feel like everyone usually will have some sort of like heartache or pain that gets them to study this stuff. <laughs> to, to, into psychology? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was actually, I started my own round of therapy in my early twenties and I was kind of floundering, having my quarter life crisis, not knowing what I was doing. And my therapist after a while asked me, you know, what's the plan? And I It was like, what? He's like, you know, your life, the plan. And it was like, no one had ever asked. And as soon as he asked, my soul was like, 
I want to do what you do, which was a surprise to us both. And then I just um, decided to enroll in school. But um, yes, I, the reason, so my system that I've created called Source Code, um, after 18 years of practicing psychology, I discovered there's really only 12 problems we have as human beings. And I call these 12 problems our coping styles. And we all have at least a small handful, but I had all 12, Mm. which is what allowed me to be the conduit for the work. Because as I healed them in myself, Mm. I could also find the way to guide my clients to heal. Mm. And um, so obviously my childhood was incredibly complicated and difficult, um, but I, I feel very grateful for the whole, my whole life story, because it allowed me to sort of alchemize that pain of my youth mm. and and give my life a purpose, a purpose that I feel so excited to wake up for every day. So it makes it all worth it. I love this. And I have to ask you for a quick listing of the 12 coping styles, and then maybe we can dive into as many as we can cover. Um, can sure. you just, for, I know everybody on U-Turn is a note taker. So what oh, are, really? Well, yeah, totally. Oh, that's the, I'm a, I'm like a, consummate note taker. Yeah. <laughs> I take notes constantly everywhere. Um, okay. So I will try to do this briefly. Um, let me just clarify that each of the coping styles is formed when we're going through a certain stage of childhood development between ages zero to five, and we're born hardwired to go through these phases and to learn something about ourselves and to integrate a certain aspect of ourselves. And if we don't get what we need during any of these stages of development, we have to adapt by adopting a coping style, a way to cope with the fact that we're not being supported in our wholeness. Mm -hmm. And of course, most parents are not aware at all of the Mm -hmm. set of subtle developmental needs of a child because no one's talking about this stuff. So they often miss what we actually need during these stages. Mm -hmm. So, um, I will run, I will run the gamut. Feel free to stop me anytime. (laughs) I'm not going to stop you. Okay. Or feel free to interject or ask questions or whatever. Okay, so the first coping style I call the disconnected style, and this is a newborn injury. And one of the first things we're trying to integrate and understand is, is this a place where I belong? Do I belong in my family? Do I belong on planet Earth? And the way we discover if we belong is if we feel understood. So as a newborn baby, we're trying to communicate our needs in very primitive ways through coos and cries and wiggles. And we hope our parents can understand us. And we know they've understood us if they can attune to our needs. And if they do understand us, we feel we belong. We feel all is right in the world. Our insides match our outsides. But if they can't, for whatever reason, tune and understand us, we want one thing, but they give us the opposite thing, or we really don't feel understood, then we have to disconnect to cope. Mm. And we can disconnect in one of four ways. We can either sort of check out and become spacey, which is the floaty subtype. We can um, sort of turn away from this world and tense our bodies and and have our minds preoccupied with um, either facts or fantasies, which I call the stiff subtype of disconnected. We can uh, be uh, someone who's always trying to escape or get out of the present and like maybe the next place will be the right place for me, the next partner, the next job. Now never feel safe. I call that the flighty subtype of disconnected, or this is a very paradoxical one, which is the subtype I have. We can become masked, which is that we realize, Hey, they're not going to attune to me, but if I can figure out how to attune to them, 
Maybe we can get a loop of communication going. Maybe we can connect. So we become hyper developed in our capacity to attune and understand people, which is actually what allowed me to figure out this whole system. So it's, it's, there's a gift in the wound there. Um, so those are the four subtypes of disconnected. And if we're disconnected, we feel inherently misunderstood. We don't believe anyone could really get us. And so we, if there's a rupture, if there's a miss or misunderstanding in the relationship, we don't believe we can get to repair. Mm. So we think there's no point in trying. Okay. The way, the way to become connected is to, first of all, connect with our needs and feelings and our bodies and our present, which can be hard for us if we're disconnected. And then to take the risk to share this with mm. others so that we can try to be understood, even with they don't understand us the first one, two, three, five times. We keep trying until we get that, that sense of being understood and ah, then we're connected. Got it. Okay. So this is just coping style number one, which is disconnecting. And you would say this just happens as a newborn injury, or I'm guessing it happens as many different in many different stages of life. Is that accurate? So it's, it's, it gets encoded as newborns. As newborns is when we first are trying to suss out, will I be understood? Will I be met? Mm -hmm. Will there be a fit here? And how does an adult that doesn't speak newborn language show a newborn that they're understood? Like, what does that even really mean for the newborn? Sure. Well, we develop our new uh, mirror neurons during that time of of early infancy, which is um, the part of us that can understand and read each other's facial expressions and vocal pitch. And so what a good enough caregiver does is they tune into the infant give a lot of eye contact. And if the infant goes, then the parent goes, oh, and then the infant might go, whoa, you know, and then the parent's like, whoo, you know, and yeah. it's like, or if the infant goes, oh, and the parent goes, oh, you're hurting. You're feeling bad right now. And it's like, yeah, I don't feel good. It's like, oh, honey, you don't feel good. Yeah. You really are working through some gas in there. I really hear you. And it's, ah, oh, I'm being heard. I'm being understood. I'm being attuned to. Mm, so it's kind of like mirroring the newborn. Yes. That's yes. interesting. Okay. Hearing and, and meeting. Like, okay. I think you have a dirty diaper. Let's get that clean. <laughs> you were so believable just then. I thought you were telling me I had a dirty diaper. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. rude. <laughs> Not really. I actually like, I always like, whenever I go on long flights, I have to pee like five times and I've been making <laughs> jokes with friends that I need to wear a diaper. So <laughs> I feel like it's like, how did she know? But anyway, okay. So you talk about four different disconnects and I actually see some overlap. So I want to specify these under this idea of that newborn injury where they don't feel like they're mirrored or met or understood, which is probably quite common and, and even more common when the parents are super busy, I'm guessing, or they don't have time for the baby or the baby's crying alone, which probably translates later into anxiety or avoidance or all sorts of things we could look at. But you talked about number one, which is checking out and being in space, being very floaty. Um, my best friend, Sarah Stewart, shout out to you, Sarah, you know, you have this, I have this, the both of us are just like little astronauts in outer space together. Um, but you also talk about the second part of being disconnected or the second way to do it is to turn around and preoccupy yourself with facts or fantasies, which I feel like, isn't that kind of the same thing being like floaty versus just like being preoccupied with fantasies? How's that different? Thank you for the clarification. Yeah. So a person who is floaty, you can think about like Luna Lovegood from the Harry Potter series. They, you know, they're kind of spaced out They're They, their facial expression is very soft. 
When they walk, they look like they're gliding on air. And there often is a preoccupation with their own fantasy world of make-believe and imagination and stuff like that. Now, the stiff subtype is a totally different physiology. It's tense. It's tight. Eye contact is very hard for stiff people. They may appear as what people call Asperger's. Um, now, just to know, autism is not caused by parenting. It's neurophysiological. It's biological. But stiff folks can look like they're on the autism spectrum. And it's because of this coping style book. The way you know the difference is that if you start to work with a stiff person on this coping style and it starts to move and they start to loosen up and thaw out and they're able to connect and they're able to make contact, then you know, okay, this is not neurobiological. This is characterological. This is a character defense mechanism. I would say the stiff person is checked in to something else. Okay. So almost like they're talking to themselves or something like that. Yeah. Or they're really into like... Dungeons and Dragons or, um, or Harry Potter or, um, tools and, you know, facts. And let me tell you everything I know about astronauts, you know, they're, they're really, they feel safe in, in something that's concrete or, or a fantasy novel or something or video games. They really like video games. They're very tuned into something, but okay. it's not you tuning oh. into you and relating feels very challenging and overstimulating and frightening. Do you want an energized life? I recently started to make decisions based on whether my choices are giving me energy or draining my energy. And it's a completely different way of living life. The truth of the matter is that the majority of people in the world are lacking energy throughout the day. And that dip in energy is really a symptom of a very typical larger issue. And that's sleep quality. Sleep can affect your mood, your hormones, your weight, and how you're able to show up in the world. So maybe you find yourself gazing away out the window, staring at the ceiling or walking around like a zombie waiting for your cup of coffee. If any of this sounds familiar, I can't invite you enough to try a simple bedtime routine that I've been doing that's working like a charm. All it takes is drinking a glass of water with two safe and natural magnesium breakthrough capsules just 30 minutes before hitting the pillow. These seven essential forms of magnesium included in this full spectrum serving help you relax, unwind, and turn off your active brain after a long, stressful day, giving you so many minerals and nutrients that your body really needs so that you can wake up feeling refreshed and vibrant and alert, just like you're meant to, my friend. So magnesium breakthrough has become a household name over the years because of its reputation. Just recently, Bioptimizers, the company, released their fourth upgraded formulation that works even better than before. And for a limited time, Bioptimizers is offering additional bonus gifts for the next thousand customers. They're including free bottles of their full line of digestive health products, including their powerful digestive enzymes, Masszymes, which is their patented probiotic, which alleviates heartburn and acid reflux. That means you're getting free products to try that will support your digestive digestive system so you experience less bloating and gas and all of these other little buzzkills that we wish could go away. Having an optimized digestive system means less energy trying to digest foods and absorbing more nutrients from the foods you eat. Visit magbreakthrough.com slash U-turn and use the Cope coupon code U-turn to activate this exclusive limited time offer. That's mag, M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash U-turn and use this coupon code of Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to activate this limited time offer. Enjoy. 
I've seen this in a couple that I know very well. Like the wife is like, you're texting her, you're, you're talking to her and she doesn't even hear what you said. And she looks down at her phone to send back a text as if you don't exist, but she's not tuned. She's just floaty. Like, yeah. Sounds and then the, her husband is always checked into something else. So he's like, his mind is going a mile a minute. So he doesn't feel like he can hear anything, but then he'll start spewing information about something. And it's like, he had a whole conversation going on in his head. Um, and then number three, yeah. so there's the checked out floaty person, the highly checked in to something else, rigid person. And then there's the on to the next thing flighty person. Um, I have some, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. That's the person who cancels plans often leaves parties early, um, is always trying to bail out of the relationship, bail out of the job, bail out of the city they live in, move on to the next place, like in hopes that that next place will be the place where they could finally feel at home. Mm -hmm. But actually the reason they never feel at home anywhere is because they're never willing to repair ruptures. As soon as something goes wrong, they're like, I got to get out. Yeah. I've had that. And I have some of that, um, that flightiness, like I'm always traveling. I'm always like, I go through a breakup. You'll find me in Paris. Like, so, and, and I feel like the digital nomad community, especially before the world of the pandemic and more remote work was very much identified on that. It was always the next thing, always the next flight and always the next dopamine hit. And I would kind of justify it saying like, oh, well, moving around makes me more creative. And I built a whole narrative around how much I needed this thing that was really just this wound and this escapism. So, um, I love your self-awareness, by the way. It's so beautiful. I'll just talk myself in circles of like, well, this is my little mess, but you know, is it still here or can I release it? Well, and you, you talk about these three things. So what would be the injury that is different for the newborn as it relates to the floaty person, the very preoccupied person, or the person who's escape, practicing escapism or very flight uh, onto the next thing. Um, is there something different or is it just different responses to an injury or not being understood as a newborn? Yeah, I'm trying to feel into it. Um, I think it m- might be that one's nervous system is inherently um, more drawn to one of these ways of disconnecting. Mm -hmm. Um, they may have a similar infancy, but, Mm -hmm. um, they're, you know, one just wants to haze over in that pleasant cloud of endorphins and another one tenses the body and tries to turn away. And, you know, another one's trying to run and, and then, okay. The fourth one, which by the way, Ashley, um, when I sit with you, yeah, I feel the fourth one, the most in you. Oh, how interesting. You're brilliant storyteller. Mm -hmm. You're brilliantly articulate. You are so tuned into every word. You're already getting this system that I'm setting forth to you for the very first time. So to me, you have that hyper-developed mirror neuron system. To Mm. me, you're like me. You have that masked subtype of disconnected. And we're kind of, we're kind of like attunement bots. Okay. So it's like, because I was going to say, how are we disconnected if we're highly attuned? But you're saying it's almost like our computer system is like, so tuned into someone else, maybe we're not in our body at all. Or what would you say that looks like? We're in our bodies. We're here, unlike the other three subtypes, but we know how to relate. We're so hyper adept at relating Mm -hmm. that we can relate very intimately without actually risking anything and without actually showing ourselves. Yeah, definitely. I've been told before that like, a lot of people feel like they know me, but only a couple of people know me. Yeah. 
So even you sharing with your audience right now, these things that most people would be terrified to share. Oh yeah, I'm outrunning my problems and this kind of thing. <laughs> You're able to share it, no problem. Mm-hmm. But it's not actually coming from a raw, tender, vulnerable place in you. Mm-hmm. You're very practiced at being like, yeah, these are my, this is my shadow, no problem. Yeah, totally. Or I'm just sick of it. I'm like, man, I've been sitting with this, processing this fucking shadow for so long. Like, <laughs> yeah, I do that. Like next. <laughs> I mean, I guess most people wouldn't share that they should wear a diaper on an airplane either. So I'm just a little messy over here. No, no, it's fine. It's just that I think that the, I think we could, I think we could deal, do with more mess. Yeah. So kind of coming out of masks is being able to be a little more raw and real yeah. and unchoreographed and yeah. to feel a little more vulnerable and tender. Um, it's kind of like that Pinocchio thing of how do you become a real person, real boy, real girl by telling the truth, telling Mm. the truth in a new way. That's a little more revealing. Okay. That's interesting that the healing for someone like us who is so attuned and so good. I think there's a lot of self-help professionals who have that we can catalyze information, put it out there, but are we really doing the work? I mean, the amount of times I've been to a seminar where I'm asking myself the question of, am I here to collect information that I can effectively share or am I here to use the information and transform myself? And it's a, and I love what you're sharing about how, you know, you're releasing the mask or like you said, thawing out. I thought those are really cool way of putting it when you, there's more vulnerability, there's more feeling to the information. Yeah. Like, will you let yourself be reached? Yeah. Or does it all stay kind of here in this way that you can figure it all out with your bright bright mind? Yeah. Will you let your, will you let even what we're doing right now, yeah, penetrate into your body and reach your viscera, yeah, and let yourself really feel felt mm-hmm. by me right now, really known and felt and reached and touched. Mm. Do you know it's interesting that we're looking at this because yesterday I went on not one, but well, it was one date, but it kind of felt like two dates <laughs> because the first date was with a guy that I was seeing for a few months and he was emotionally unavailable like four or five years ago. Wow. And we just caught up for coffee in New York. And I found out he has a girlfriend. He was totally like, I don't even know what the word is clean about it. And it was just a catch up. And we have a lot of mutual friends And I felt like that mask with him, like, oh, he didn't choose me before. So I don't want to be too vulnerable or too seen by him now. Sure. Um, And then I went on another date um, last night. So I was clearly just on a a fucking spree yesterday. Um, (laughs) But um, this guy is 10 years older than me. So ready to find his partner. He's deep. He's spiritual. He eats clean. He's smart. And I was so relaxed around him and it was so uncomfortable because I was so willing to share what was new with me and what I was struggling with from such an honest place and not wanting to teach him anything or add value. Wow. And usually I'm really funny and that's why people like me. And I wasn't funny. And I was like, wow, I'm not funny right now. I'm not trying to impress him right now. And I could feel my ego squirming around in the conversation because it wanted to like crack a joke, be funny, da, da, da. And I could feel my mind trying to make sense of it. Like, oh, this must not be a good match for me because I'm so grounded and calm and not funny like I usually am. But it's that I took the mask off and it's uncomfortable, you know? Yes, I have chills. I mean, 
potentially this guy is a really good match for you. Yeah, he's great. I mean, I'm going to see him again this weekend. And we actually, funny enough, had a couple of dates like five months ago and I bailed after the second because it just didn't, you know, because what was it? Number three onto the next thing flighty. I don't know. But um, I just didn't feel like I was ready for his vibe. And we just tried again. So yeah, he's a good egg. But it it was interesting for me to see how uncomfortable it is for me to be seen and how willing I was to let him see me. Um, there yeah. must be something about his field yeah. that allows you your deep unconscious to feel safe enough that you're not putting up those defenses of the comedy and the mask and the yeah. It's really beautiful. But yes, I do think it's gonna trigger your flighty. And you're yeah. going to want to get the fuck out of there yeah. because it's, it's real intimate. It's real yeah. hot between you two. It's, well, it's real, real. I win people over when I'm performing is through being funny and through being entertaining. Like mm-hmm. all my friends in uh, New York city, shout out to my beauty Queens. They're all beauty Queens. They've all won miss New York or miss something. And then there's me who's like the resident troll, but I'm not, I have self self-esteem, but I, I feel like, Oh my God, I need to leave right now and go to the gym immediately when I'm with the beauty Queens. Wow. And they, um, I'm, I like have a lot of depth with them, but I also feel my entertaining persona kicking in with them, not because of them, but because of the places that we go together, the social life that we're leading. I see that mask that wants to kick in. So thanks for calling me out. I hope we're calling somebody else out too, just in service. And okay. So this was number one, which is that newborn baby injury of not feeling understood and disconnecting. And those disconnections can look like being floaty, being preoccupied and all tuned into something else, being flighty or being masked. Like you or I are just so amazing at (laughs) screen. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I note takers, I see you. So this is for you. Um, okay. So number two, what is another coping skill and how many hours do we have to talk about? I know, I know. Well, I have the next 45 minutes. I don't know if you do, but yeah, I'll take it. Okay. So the second, uh, coping style I call frictive and I made that word up and I'll tell you what it means in a moment. So it's another newborn injury actually. Okay. So the other thing we're trying to integrate as newborns is, um, do I have a place in space? Do I exist as a fact? So the way we learn this is actually uh, physiologically by being held a lot, preferably skin on skin Mm -hmm. and supported firmly in consistent loving arms, Mm -hmm. arms that are consistent physically, but also through a caregiver who's emotionally consistent and contained. When we have that kind of support holding us up and holding us together, there's a dialectic between being firmly supported and being able to ah, let go because we know we exist. We know we have skin. We know there's a ground holding us. We know we're here. So we don't have to do anything to be here. We can just let go and relax. Mm. Now, if we don't have that kind of support for whatever reason, either we're left alone too much or our caregivers, very chaotic energy, uh, or when they engage with us, it's in heightened ways, then in those situations, we, we adopt what I call the frictive coping style mm. and frictive means we need to rub ourselves up against everything to create a friction mm. that keeps us tethered to this world. That means loud music, back-to-back appointments, constant thinking, um, intensity, 
Mm. There's always this going, 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 doing, doing, doing. And we're trying to outrun the void because Mm. we feel like in silence or stillness that we'd be forgotten. We'd be disappeared. We'd fragment. We'd explode. We'd We'd fall through space with nothing to catch us. All of our molecules would have no valence, wouldn't hold together. They'd come apart. So we often feel like we're dying or disappearing or we're losing our our molecules and we don't feel solid. We feel Mm. very uncontained, Mm. kind of like a pen. Do you want to pursue a career in technology or are you ready to explore a completely new career path? This episode is brought to you in part by General Assembly, an education organization that specializes in providing expert-led courses to prepare you for a career in technology. When you learn the skills tech companies are looking for and how to transfer the skills that you already have, you can really fast track your way to a well-paid role and an entirely new career. So by investing in growing your skills, you can increase your income, find a job you love that also loves you back, and you can do this all without a four-year degree. Over the past decade, the General Assembly instructors and career coaches have worked one-on-one with more than 13,000 career changers. Based on what's worth, General Assembly has built an in-depth guide to help you break into tech. So simply download the guide at ga.co slash guide. That's ga.co dash g-u-i-d-e. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Well, if you think about it too, right? Like as newborns, we literally need to be um, held. We need... We, we cannot self-sustain alone. If we don't get fed, we die. We can't go get up and go to the kitchen and open the fridge. So it's like not feeling like there's an, a space for you to exist. It's right. a threat to your survival and That's exactly a biological it. panic. Yes, it's exactly that. It's an existential panic that as adults, oftentimes when we have like anxiety, yeah, it's either frictive or, or constricted, which we'll get to later, but Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pre-verbal unconscious existential terror of being wiped out and annihilated. And that's why babies do need to be swaddled very tightly. They call it the fourth trimester because we're not really ready to be born when we're born. We're just getting too big for our mother's body. So we have to come out, but we need to be contained for the first three months constantly. And if we don't get that kind of containment, we feel forever uncontained forever at risk of falling apart. It's interesting too, because I've seen a lot of couples who are divorced right after a newborn baby. And so I imagine that energy in the house of a newborn and, and parents who are not able to hold each other are not able to be with each other. And that kind of frenetic energy that could present for a newborn. Mm. Um, So interesting. Okay. So frictive disconnected and then you Can I say what frictives are like as adults? Yeah. Yes, please. So what we do is uh, we have a constant fear of abandonment, mm-hmm. fear of being forgotten. And we have a fear of losing things. If I lose my phone, I feel like I'm dying because that's a part of me that holds me together. We sort of put ourselves together like a collage with all the different things in our environment. We hate transitions. We hate um, breaks between appointments. Um, you know, we need a, a constant contact and intensity. And this can look like the externalized frictive, who's very bubbly and outgoing and loud and attention-seeking, or the internalized frictive, who looks like they've got it all held together, but inside they're feeling like a pot of boiling water. And um, 
the way to come out of frictive is to feel supported and contained and develop a new relationship with space, the antidote is spaciousness, where we finally trust that space is not the thing that's going to swallow us up or the thing that we're going to fall through with nothing to catch us, but space is actually our new container because it's the only constant, it's the only thing that will never change. And when we can orient to space as the, as the thing that holds us from within and without in every, in every uh, atom within our bodies, it's mostly space. Mm. Our environment is mostly space. That space is actually there to hold us, not get rid of us. Mm. So when we orient to space and spaciousness in a new way, we can feel safe and that anxiety can come down. I imagine that somatic therapy would be good for that, like feeling um, your body and tuning into your sensations. Um, yeah. Actually, the best cure for frictive, believe it or not, is to lie down on a hard floor and have someone you love lie on top of you full body, like their torso is on your torso, their legs are on your legs, their arms are on your arms, and they give you their full weight. And you do that for 10 to 20 minutes, once a day or whenever you need it. And it it can cure you of frictive because you're getting that pressure and that containment that you didn't get as a newborn. Wow. We are mm-hmm. such little balls of atoms and God knows what, like mm-hmm. 70% water or such just a bunch of cucumbers that need to be held. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Really? So number three, um, you talked about constrictive, maybe was that the word you used, but maybe that will be number 12. Okay. 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 I don't know. So, if we'll, we'll have to do a part two to get there probably. Oh, really? You think? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm excited if we could get through this. I love some good notes. So um, the third is, I call it the omnipotent coping style. It's it's an infant injury, pre-six months. And, you know, when we are infants, we have this contiguous worldview, meaning everything is all fused together. So there's no distinction between self, world, other objects. We're all just fused together in one undifferentiated mass of experience. So everything that is affects my experience. And if we get that good enough parenting, they can help us understand that we have an inside world of thoughts, needs, and feelings that can be affected by outside things, but is separate than outside things. And when our parent can be with our difficult feelings and help us know that they're just a feeling inside and that a difficult feeling inside is something we can work through and metabolize, then we end up not being omnipotent. You know, but if we didn't get that help metabolizing difficult feelings or even knowing that it was just a feeling Mm -hmm. and we forever feel like everything that is, is an extension of me and I have to control it all or be omni, all potent, powerful. Mm -hmm. I have to control everything outside of me in order to make myself feel safe. Mm -hmm. And like an infant, I have no skin, no, no, uh, calluses to protect me from how intense everything is. So this is the highly sensitive person. This is the empath but we also be, end up becoming sort of bullies um, and control freaks because we need everything around us to be just so, or we feel we're in chaos and a ton of intolerable discomfort. Wow. So we're very, very controlling. That's so interesting. Like the person who I feel like, um, shout out to my mom, that's like her little thing where she'll be like, you don't want to do that. You shouldn't do that. Cause it makes her anxious, you know, you she can't control what I'm going to do. And I'm, I'm, you know, per our number one about disconnecting, I'm always on to the next thing. So it's terrifying for her with her omnipotent coping style. Yeah. Um, and the antidote to coming out of omnipotent is to finally feel your feelings. feelings. Yeah. Just feel them instead of being like, no, you can't do that. 
saying, when you do that, I feel scared. I'm feeling scared right now. I'm feeling really scared right now. And just be with your feeling. And when we're really with a feeling and we allow it to happen, it cycles through in like two minutes Mm -hmm. and it's actually, we're okay. But that's the thing we've never known how to do is just feel what we're feeling. Instead, we're going to try to control everything and everyone else. Mm. I love that so much. Okay. You're full of so much information. It's like actually pleasant and unusual. I love this kind of stuff. Okay. So number four, number four, I call the deprived coping style. Also infant. Um, it's a feeding injury. So, um, there was a psychologist named Melanie Klein who talked about the good breast and bad breast experience as infants, where, The good breast experience is um, that our experience of feeding or of gratification is that we, it, it feels all good. Like, you know, we, we get the breast when we need it and it feels all good. And the bad breast is if we're hungry and the feeding doesn't feel good. So if we're deprived, we got sort of a bad breast experience. And the, the way that this happens usually is if the mother's back is literally or proverbially turned to us, for some reason, we felt rejected. Maybe we were getting enough literal calories to survive, but we were being ignored in some way or neglected in some way. Or our parent was trying to be present with us as they were feeding us, but they were so full of negative emotions, either their own depression or anxiety or worry, that their milk was sort of tainted with bad feelings. Mm. But either way, either if, if we weren't given care along with our milk or if the care was tainted with something unpleasant what ended up going inside of us was something that felt bad. Mm. So we now feel inside bad, broken, or empty. We don't feel inherently good inside. Mm. And so we feel as if we are some kind of repellent to love. Now, if we'd gotten the good breast experience, we would feel good about being hungry, good about feeding. When the food goes in, it feels good inside. I must be good. I draw good toward me. The good is yummy. It's all good. If we're deprived, we feel bad inside. And we feel like other people get the good stuff, not me. Mm. And something about me turns things sour. Mm. And we've only known how to digest and feed on bad things. So we attract bad things. We only let bad things in, feelings like self-pity, unworthiness, um, bitterness, pain. Those are the things we know how to feed on. So even if someone gives us a beautiful morsel of love, we don't know how to digest it. So we either have to spit it out like, you don't really mean that or turn it sour. You're only saying that because da, da, da. And then, then we know where to put it inside because we only really know how to digest bad things. Mm -hmm. So the way to come out of deprived is to learn how to open your openings and receive um, good things, receive love and care and abundance. Cause we're also often in lack consciousness when we're deprived. Mm -hmm. And when we can let the goodness in, we, we digest it through the digestive enzymes of of appreciation and and gratitude for the good. And when we can start to let ourselves taste little bits of the good and appreciate it down in our bellies, it starts to fill us up and fortify us. And then we feel we are good and we feel full and fulfilled. And then we are abundance and we attract good things. We're like the positive end of the magnet versus the repellent end of the magnet. So um, yeah, deprived is a really, really tough style to reckon with. Yeah. It sounds like a painful one. I mean, not that they all aren't in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's and, six subtypes to deprive, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there right now. Okay. Well, tell me about what does an adult look like when they have the deprived coping style? There, those are the six subtypes is like exactly what they look like, but let's just say there's 
focusing on negativity, glass half empty, um, feeling, um, again, I could never get the good stuff. Yeah. Just having a hard time connecting with abundance or a sense of self that feels good inside. It's so interesting. You say that since I've already talked about all of my little dating escapades, um, I was seeing someone for a couple months, decided to stop seeing him a few weeks ago because I felt like he had a chip on his shoulder in his life. And no matter how kind he was to me, like there was this chip because he kind of had it rough when he was a kid. And now he's the self-made success and he's just this really sweet guy, but who he is in the world is kind of angry. Um, and that was what led me to part ways. I was like, I'm too happy to be with a chip all the time. Yep. Interesting. Like he maybe was a little deprived and maybe also a little frustrated, which we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah, totally. Frustration was there. And I think when you look at frustration, it's just low grade anger, you know? So it's yeah, exactly. hard to be around. Um, okay. Number five. Number five, I call the symbiotic coping style. Now we're in toddlerhood. Okay. We've, we've emerged into toddlerhood and toddlerhood is ages <clears throat> one and a half to three. It's when we're learning to walk and talk. And it is an interim stage between infancy and big kid. You're okay. not totally a baby, but you're not totally a big kid. You're a little bit of both. And you need to be allowed to be both baby and kid mm-hmm. during toddlerhood. Um, it's called the rapprochement phase of development by Margaret Muller and rapprochement means reckoning. It's a reckoning between my bigness and my smallness. I'm not a totally helpless dependent infant anymore, but I'm also not, I'm just barely learning to walk and talk and feed myself. You know, I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. quite someone who could be self-reliant. Mm. It's like Britney Spears. Like what's that song? Not, not exactly. That is a song about rapprochement. That is a song about this struggle. Okay. So during this time, we need our parents to support our bigness and our independence. We also need them to support our smallness and our dependence. Mm. We need to be allowed to be both. The symbiotic coping style is for whatever reason, our parents could not tolerate our independence. Often they had the omnipotent coping style where they need to control everything. Mm. So as a symbiotic, we don't feel we're allowed to have a separate sense of self. We feel like we have to always go along with everyone else's program, be people pleasing, be accommodating. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to disagree. We never say no. We don't like to use our voice. We just like to blend in and be a chameleon and be what everyone else wants us to be. Mm. And that's because if we weren't, our parents would like off with our heads and yell at us. It was really scary. Mm. So we don't want anyone to be mad at us and we don't want anyone to sort of kick us out. But Wait, what's- I'm gonna catch that a little better. Sorry. So you were saying that as an adult, that can look like people pleasing when you had a symbiotic coping style trauma or injury as a toddler. So does that mean like your parent does a good job of maybe pushing the adult side of you, but not the child or supporting the child side of you or vice versa? Okay. So they're, they'll baby you, but they won't nurture that adult side potentially. They can't tolerate separateness. They need you to do everything their way, agree with them all the time. And if you ever disagree or want to do something your way, because the parents usually omnipotent of a symbiotic Mm. child. They're Mm. like, no, you can't do it your way. You have to do it my way or else I don't feel safe as that infant that needs to control everything. Mm -hmm. So the symbiotic learns, I can never have my own separate self. Mm -hmm. The parent basically says implicitly, you can either have you or you can have me, but not both. Oh, wow. Yeah. A lot of uh, people I know who they have, they have people pleasing, but they look at their childhood and they're like, I don't see any trauma. Like I don't like, I have a good friend who's a really amazing 
woman and she deals with people pleasing. She deals with being absorbed by other people. And she's like, this makes no sense. When I look back into my upbringing, I can't find anything with the parenting or any, like she had pretty like comfortable upbringing. There's no moments that stand out to her, but this could very well be that kind of a thing where, yeah, you know, it's these little nuances of her parents saying like, follow my lead. Yeah. Um, and that's it. That's it. That's all it needs. Yeah. There's a, I have a, um, symbiotic to solid course on my website. Maybe your friends should check it out. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good one. And you know what? I want to ask you on that note about surrogates and nannies. Um, I mean, obviously some women, I have a, a very close friend I love. She has a surrogate, um, supporting her and having a baby. Um, and then, you know, I have other friends who have nannies and they're doing their jobs during the day has all of this research before I ask you about number six, because I just want to know all of them. Has this given you a thought on those things? Um, and also breastfeeding, not breastfeeding. I know that that's kind of a controversial topic in the womanhood world. I wouldn't know that well since I don't have a baby, but any thoughts on any of that, just opinions or insights or reflections? I'm all for breastfeeding. I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, unless you can't for whatever reason, and then you should not feel bad about yourself at all because it's, it's also totally okay to not breastfeed. If you, if for some reason you can't, it's, it's really more important. Like I was saying with the deprived style that you're able to give the loving care with the milk, whether it's your actual breast or a bottle, it's not even the literal calories don't matter nearly as much as the attention and contact you give your child. Um, but in terms of nannies and things like that, um, I think it really just depends on the personality of the individual who's taking Mm. care of your child. Like, are they able to attune and are they able to um, hold your child the way the child might need to be held? Mm. So um, I think that's important. Well, that's so fascinating. Okay. And when you talk about breastfeeding, is there a period of time in your research that you've found is ideal for the woman? Cause I don't know if, if those of you listening have been hearing these conversations, but what I hear is like, everybody's like, my nipples hurt. And I feel like a one big nipple all day. So like, is there a time where you think developmentally you found is kind of a sweet spot? If, if for the women who can breastfeed, I think it's best to follow your child's, uh, innate, uh, instinct. So your child will let you know when they're ready. Okay. Okay. And you can be talking to them about it all, all the time and they'll let you know. And for each child, it's different. You just like each child has different growth spurts and, you know, um, proclivities. It's, it's really important to attune, not overindulge, Mm -hmm. but also not remove something that the child still really needs. So really it's, it's again, that tuning in or attunement Mm -hmm. of where are you in that development? Are you ready to wean? Talking about it, feeling into it with the child. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. So number six, beyond and just to, to finish with symbiotic. Um, so symbiotics are believe that the relationship is the most important thing mm-hmm. and holding onto the connection and having a self feels like a risk to the relationship. Um, and, but what happens is after a while resentment builds, builds up. The other person has no idea you've been get, selling yourself out to accommodate them, but you have been. And so then your resentment builds up. And you've been so afraid this whole time to do the wrong thing and get kicked out or cut off. But what ends up happening is in the end, you kill off and kick, cut off the person you've been dependent on. Mm. And you say like, I don't want you anymore. I want me. And in order mm. to have myself, I'm going to have to kill you off because you don't know how as a symbiotic to have yourself and the other in simultaneously. Mm. So symbiotics attach completely, fuse completely, and then cut off. 
And the way to get out of that cycle is to become solid, to know that you do have your own connection to source. You are your own source. And when you can take care of yourself and not be dependent, then you can be more honest with others and you don't have to build up resentment and then you don't have to cut and run. Mm, So is this like a lot of um, parents who have enmeshment with their kids, would you say? Is that symbiotic? And also about narcissist personality disorder or any of those narcissistic tendencies where, you know, you attach to someone else to feel bigger. Like, is that a, a play a part in the wounded side of the symbiotic coping style? So in my understanding, narcissism mm-hmm. is three different coping styles put together. Okay. <clears throat> it's the omnipotent style, the idealizing style, and the indulged style all fused together. Oh, wow. But like I was saying, the parent of a symbiotic is usually omnipotent. So yes, part of that, that omnipotence is part of narcissism. And by the way, I don't really believe in, in, in like DSM diagnoses because I don't think I don't think it's a clear picture of what's actually going on. I think it's mm-hmm. people like just trying to make sense of something, but I think the deeper wounding is these coping styles. And when you can understand the coping styles and have empathy for them, no one's wrong here. No one's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's just reacting to their early experience. And there is a way out of all of these wounds, a very simple, healthy way out. So um, I wouldn't want someone listening to go, oh my God, I'm a narcissist. I have an omnipotent coping style. I also have the omnipotent coping style I had all 12 coping styles. So you could call Mm -hmm. me everything in the DSM, or you could say that I had a tough tough childhood and I coped with that. And now I've done my work and I'm much more integrated. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, after my own 15 years of therapy, I'm like, when, when am I complete with some of these patterns that I have? Okay. So I really um, do think source code this thing I've created is, is, is a way to seriously shift out of patterns. This is what I would find is I would sit with people every week for 10 years and could maybe have these holy shifts after lots of time. But now these tools have gotten so precise, these embodiment tools and energetic tools that source code is that people are popping off within hours. Mm. Like we do the work and this lifelong pattern that's had them by the balls is all of a sudden not there. They're in a new world. And it's, we really do open up portals to like a new fractal, a new hologram, a new dimension. And so it's, it is possible to live in an entirely new world when you've been frustrated and stuck in patterns your whole life that you're like, well, I can't get out of this pattern. Clearly, Mm -hmm. actually there is a way out. And, and that's what we're doing with source code. I have a whole team, um, practicing it. Mm, such powerful stuff. I mean, it's so refreshing to hear you because I love original bodies of work and I can really hear the thought and um, nuance. What about number six, past symbiotic? So number six, I call the premature coping style. Okay. Also a toddler wound. And this is the um, opposite wound, though you can have both wounds. But this is when, as soon as we could walk and talk, our parents um, mistook this for true independence. And they Mm. needed us to be bigger than we were. Mm. So they couldn't really tolerate the smallness, the dependence on them. Mm. So they wanted us to be a big boy or big girl and take care of ourselves slash take care of other people in the family, maybe take care of them, or maybe take care of a younger sibling if a sibling was born when we were a toddler. And so we learned that our need won't be met Mm. and that our only value is in meeting the needs of others. Boy. Okay. (laughs) I thought you might have this one a little bit. Yeah. So how does this one look for adults? 
So we end up um, being overgivers, overachievers, overdoers, overplanners, and we never stop to feed ourselves. And we are very uncomfortable receiving from others. We oftentimes have funky relationships with food and eating. Mm-hmm. Um, we think we shouldn't need. And so we're either so to some degree anorexic or we try to not eat, try to not eat, try to not eat. And then we can't handle our hunger and we end up binging and then either purging or feeling really icky about it. Um, and so when we're premature, we don't believe that our need is okay. That if I need anything that makes me needy. Now, if you need anything, I love it. I love meeting your needs. It's Mm -hmm. my reason to live is to meet your needs because that's where I feel the warmth and the closeness is in being the one who feeds others. But I can't imagine anyone would want to give to me. I would feel too much. I would feel like a burden. Mm -hmm. And so, um, coming out of premature is learning. It's okay to need and okay to feed. We've been putting all of our energy out. So it's about reversing the poles and being able to learn how to take in. And that seeing that it's actually a loop of caring that we take in and that fills us up and that gives us the energy to also give. And then we take in and it's a nice cycle and loop of caring. But the only way we know how to move through the world as prematures is to put out. So the antidote to premature is to become nourished, to learn how to fill up and to feed until full, both relationally and literally with food. Okay. And, um, now that we're just breezing along, I feel like that one was so clear. What about number seven? Number seven is kind of what you were talking about. I think with your beauty queen clan, um, I call it the idealizing coping style. And this is like a post toddler, like end of toddler wound, and it's an identity wound. So This is the time that we are being mirrored by our parents, not in that newborn way of, can you know what I'm feeling, but being mirrored of who am I? An identity starts to form. Before then, there's really not a sense of self or identity. But by the way that our parents respond to us, we see ourselves through their eyes and they tell us who we are. Parents who are able to see inside of us and talk to us about our inner world of thoughts, needs, feelings, our essence, our very beingness then they let us know that we're more than just that we are more than just our outsides but parents who focused only on our outsides our looks our achievements our grades uh, how we rank how we compare to others they taught us that all we are is a self concept not a fully fleshed out sense of self so we're always trying to measure ourselves and compare ourselves and see where we rank and how we measure up um, based on external attributes things you could see on a resume how do you look How much money do you make? How smart are you? And you're always trying to um, be the best because if you're not the best, you're the worst. Mm, Okay, this one's interesting. And tell me one more time, what is the name of this coping style? The idealizing wound. The idealizing wound. Okay, when you're ideal or devalued um, and none of that gets to be real, you know, it's all this ping pong of the ego up and down. I'm the best, Mm. I'm the worst. Mm. Yeah. Would you say that people who tend to have extreme thinking tend to have that idealizing coping style, the people who kind of think in black and white? Black and white is omnipotent, actually. Oh, interesting. Tell me that's that splitting. It's either all good or all bad and any bad feels all bad and it's intolerable. That's why your mom's like, don't do the thing that would make me uncomfortable because the bad feels all bad. Um, Mm -hmm. The splitting is is omnipotent. The black and white is omnipotent. Um, Idealizing, they split in a different way of if I'm not the best, I'm the worst. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, kind of more of a, a evaluation of self. The fun, it kind of feels like um, my best friend, Nicole, who's uh, Persian Jewish, and she talks a lot about the culture and it's like, 
there's a lot of success in that culture, but if you're not the most successful, it's almost like you're chopped liver sometimes. And there's a lot of comparing at the party. Like if you're not someone, you're no one. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I show up at those parties. Um, speaking of my little masks that I like to wear, I'm like out of control. I have an identity at the Persian Jewish parties of LA where I'm like, I'm not one of you and I'm going to go crazy in here. And I, I don't know. It's very interesting uh, what happens when I'm in that kind of environment. Okay. So number eight, uh, after idealizing, what is the next coping style? So this is the one you were talking about that guy you'd been dating a few months that chip on his shoulder where he was low grade angry all the time. And I call this the frustrated coping style and it's a will injury, Mm -hmm. um, which means that as we're growing our will, which begins around 10 months of age and then gets fully formed by four years old, but really peaks in our second year, which is why people call it the terrible twos. Cause we're always like trying to assert our will and see how much we have control over. And there's like a constant battle of wills. We're trying to figure out what can I control and what can't I control? And we're trying to push the limits of how much does my willpower matter in this world? Mm-hmm. What can I affect? And if we had parents who thwarted our will and we could never win, then we become frustrated. Mm. But the cool thing about the will is that it never goes away. It's never broken. What it does is it goes underground and it becomes covert and it becomes passive aggressive. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It also kind of looks um, on this guy like uh, activism, like do-gooder, but it's angry. There's something under it. So like you would think, okay, so for example, I just saw... It's on Facebook. Um, he posted a, he, his company asked for insurance coverage for women on maternity leave. And the insurance company responded and said, because 50% of your staff is women, we will not offer you this coverage. Meaning because you need this and it's going to be expensive for us as an insurance company and there's too many women, we're not going to do it. So it's kind of discriminatory, obviously, mm-hmm. but he like got on his soapbox and wanted people to share it on Facebook and discrimination is alive and well in 2022. And he has this kind of soapbox tirade energy to him. Yes. Um, that would so be, yeah. So there's four subtypes of frustrated and the subtype you're talking about now is the sacrificing subtype. Okay. So there's the chip on the shoulder and the sense that I'm morally superior to those jerks who take. So I'm yes. going to be selfless and there's something noble about being selfless and anyone who's um, in it for themselves, um, the privileged, you know, those ingrates who just want to do what they want in life, they're, they're the assholes. And so there's this martyr complex um, and persecution complex and this um, self-righteousness around, they should be punished. The wicked should be punished. Um, so that's, that's one of the four subtypes of frustrated. Okay. Fascinating. Uh, I'm just taking notes because everything you're saying is like sitting with me in such a crazy way. Okay. So past frustration. Source code is no joke. Like I really yeah. feel like I've cracked the code on humanity and everything fits so neatly into these 12 categories. I'm like, yeah, I figured everybody out and yeah. I figured out that none of us are bad and that all of us can heal. These are not life yeah. sentences. None of them are life sentences. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, as they say at the Hoffman process, uh, Hoffman Institute, they say, no, it's everyone is to blame and it's no one's fault. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. Okay, number nine, after my frustrated ex 
partner, boyfriend situation, who do we have as a coping style? <laughs> Number nine is the opposite will injury where we were overindulged. I call it the indulged wound. Um, okay. Instead of being overly frustrated, our will was overindulged. And this is if we either had indulgent parents or if um, we were neglected. And so um, either in either case, our will ruled the roost. So we never learned how to take no for an answer. We never learned any limits to our will. So we're, we're very um, entitled and we need instant gratification. There's a lot of me, me, me and what I want. And I always get what I want and getting what I want is the most important thing. And there's a, a, a real lack of awareness of how we impact others. So this indulged wound is really big in our collective culture right now. Um, you know, imperialism and slave labor and factory farming, all of this is because we believe we have the right to get whatever we want, no matter how much it, it hurts or enslaves or tortures other beings. Um, sorry to just be really blatant there. Um, so it's, that's just deep entitlement and preoccupation with, um, gratification without any awareness in, in our, our interbeing, the way we all interrelate and affect one another, that we are actually all one and that, you know, all of us need care and support and we're all web, but really, you know, it's, it, it comes from an innocent place of like, we didn't feel a part of a village. We didn't feel an essential belongingness and a part of something bigger. And so we do feel like a little island that just wants what it wants and grabs because I, you know, that myth of separation, I feel lonely. I, I feel my needs and I don't, it's like, we're going to have to compete because it's a dog eat dog world. There's not this wonderful sense of interbeing and, and collaboration that we could have. And that was the norm when the culture was at the level of the village. So we've got to get back to the village Mm. um, and that, that, that oneness consciousness. Mm, okay. Um, and would you say this is kind of like the, um, some politicians where they're just like, I'm right and you're wrong, kind of like that zero sum mindset? Yeah. Um, I'm right and you're wrong sounds kind of omnipotent. Okay. Um, but more like, yes, I'm going to approve that fracking thing because we need our oil. Fuck We're, the earth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sounds like an indulged choice right there. Okay. Got it. Um, yeah. Okay. So number 10, I can't believe we've almost made it through this list. I'm so impressed with us. Now we're going to enter this new phase of development called the edible phase, which no one really talks about. And it's so gosh dang important. It's between ages four to six. And it's when we actually have this huge onslaught of sex hormones, believe it or not. Yeah. Start to masturbate, play doctor with kids at school, want to have little boyfriends and girlfriends. We start to feel amorous, sexual, competitive. We feel all these, these, um, drives, these, these libidinal drives as five-year-olds. And, um, it's like a proto puberty. And then it dies down from seven to like 10. And then when we go to 11, 12, 13, we're going in the big puberty, right? But this is like a proto puberty and how our parents respond to this big wave of sex hormones in our little five-year-old bodies determines how we hold this part of ourselves forever. So the first, there's three injuries here that can be an edible phase. The first injury I call the squashed coping style. And this is if someone in our family system could be a sibling, could be a parent, could be an aunt or uncle, feels threatened by our, by our beauty and power that's mm. starting to come through as we become these seductive, exciting, vital beings that are not just chubby toddlers anymore. We've like, we've got the juice mm. and someone's jealous. So mm. we feel that any adoration we get from somewhere causes hate from someone else we love. And so we learn how to squash ourselves to keep ourselves small because Mm -hmm. we don't really want to throw our hat in the ring and be a competitor because it feels like a duel to the death. 
So we kind of keep ourselves pre-edipal. We never become in our power and glory and beauty and sexuality. We never become genital. And so we can do this either by making ourselves invisible or by always spitting out compliments. Oh no, you look so pretty. Oh no, I'm just nice and non-threatening. Don't, don't, don't be jealous of me. Right. And it's all unconscious. We don't think anyone would envy us. In fact, we feel utterly unenviable. Mm. It's actually precisely because of how enviable we are. We usually kind of have a little of the extra special sauce. It's kind of like a Harry Potter or a Cinderella. Why was he kept in a cupboard under the stairs? The Dursleys were jealous. Why was Cinderella kept in rags? The stepsisters were jealous. They didn't want her to go to the ball. So that's Mm. the squashed archetype. Wow. And we come out of squash by being erect. So Mm. for women, this is this radiance or for the feminine, I should say, this is radiance coming from our hearts and our crowns of feeling our true regal power. And for men, the erectness is more sorry for the masculine, because we all have these energies inside for the masculine, the potency comes from, um, more of a genital area, but, but in coming out of squash, we all become more genital. Our spines become more erect. We feel like adult sexual beings that have power and have radiance and beauty. And then the second injury we can have during the edible phase, I call provocative. Mm. So this is when we start to have little love triangles as five-year-olds, which we always do, I want to marry one parent and kill the other one. That's why it's called the Oedipal phase, because the myth of Oedipus Rex was a prince who killed his father and married his mother. So as five-year-olds, we we Oedipally imprint on one parent. We want them to be our spouse. We want to marry them. Of course, we don't know what marriage is, and we're certainly not ready for genital sex, but we feel excited in our bodies and we want to feel special and chosen. Now, parents who respond to this by saying, oh, I feel it too, honey but of course you're my child and this is my spouse and we won't be doing that. Then we learn that we can be special and sparkly, but also we learn that there are boundaries around love and romance. Now, some parents actually indulge the Oedipal triangle and they say, you know what? I do wish I was married to you and not your mommy. Mm. And then the mommy acts jealous. Mm. So as a five-year-old, when you're put in a love triangle and it's acted out and you feel that you have this immense seductive power as a five-year-old, It's the most disturbing and most exciting thing. And so for the rest of your life, you're pretty slutty and Mm. you often find yourself in love triangles and you're often seductive and you don't know how to be loved without it being sexual and flirtatious and seductive. And so um, the way to come out of provocative is actually to be clear and Mm. to feel your boundaries in sex and love, not get embroiled in triangles, have one-on-one relationships, be protective of your libidinal self not let it slip out into everything. Mm. And the final coping style. Are you ready? Yeah. I thought we had edible and that had two things. Then we were at number 11. Uh, we're now about to go into number 12. Okay. So provocative final coping style. It's the third edible wound. Okay. Oh, got it. Edible has three wounds, squashed, oh. provocative and constricted, which we're now completing with. Okay. So the constricted wound is if as we become more libidinal, more animal, more excitable and and hormonal as five-year-olds, if we learn that that part of us is bad, that animal part of us is bad, and that controlling it is good. We can learn that in one of two ways. One, if we had overly controlling, perhaps religious parents who told us that our genital selves are bad, that our that our unrestrained feelings and expressiveness and desires and hungers are bad and we should control them. Or if we had a parent who was overly amorous and libidinal and we saw how bad that part of them was, they were cheating, they were doing illegal things, they were acting out in ways that were very dangerous. In either case, we learned that that part of me that could spill out 
and leak out in fluids or feelings or big expressions or desires, that's bad and it needs to be contained and constricted. So we're often phobic of sex. We're phobic of bodily fluids. We don't want to express big feelings. We try to keep ourselves contained. It causes a tremendous amount of anxiety. We have social anxiety. We try to avoid gatherings because we don't want to do something where we could be humiliated. We're constantly afraid of being exposed, caught, humiliated, punished. Um, we don't want to be caught with our proverbial pants down mm-hmm. and pointed at and laughed or ostracized. That's our big fear is constricted. So what we do is we try to keep everything completely bottled up within us. Mm-hmm. And that can cause a split where we do act out sexually in weird ways because um, we think that part of us is bad. So it can only be expressed in bad ways. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how to bring that animal part of ourselves into our loving relationships because we wouldn't want that disgusting part of us to touch the people who we love and cherish most. So it's a very confusing split mm-hmm. around the animal part of the self. Interesting. And the way to- come out of constricted. And we're also afraid constantly being judged. We've got this judge figure that haunts us from the outside and is always about to get us. Mm -hmm. But um, the way to come out of constricted is to locate the authority inside, to know that no one can judge us or decide if we're guilty or not guilty, that we know we are innocent and good inside. We trust ourselves. We trust the natural flow of life to move through us. And then we can become free free to Mm. express, free to innovate, free to color outside of the lines, free to be authentic and animal. And that we learn that actually all the destructive things we feared about being animal aren't true. The animal Mm. parts of us are good and they just allow us to be more instinctive. Love this so much. And um, I have to ask you where everyone can find you. This has been so potent. Last question about constrictive. What if you had a parent who maybe was more interested in the other parent sexually than the one was? So that could look like maybe your dad coming on too strong with your mom and it, and you could see it makes your mom uncomfortable. Yeah, um, sure. You can definitely thing. constrict 100%. Yep. Okay. Um, I, I feel like this is so powerful for so many people. Um, I, I hope that this resonated for all of you as much as it did for me. Really amazing work with the source code. Um, okay. So Dr. Sam, can you tell us where everyone can find you? Yes. So um, my Instagram is Dr. Sam Rader, D-R-S-A-M-R-A-D-E-R. And on there, you can find so many wonderful things. And in my link tree, you can book a 15 minute discovery call with me, which I'm really stoked about. I love connecting with the community and we can talk more about how we can support you in source code. You can also go to my website, www.drsamrader.com. There's a free coping styles pocket guide on the website that you can download, which explains everything I was talking about today and also gives you journaling prompts to do if this is you and if this is someone you love that can help start to move you toward a new reality, um, sort of move you out of those stuck patterns of your past and into a whole new world of possibility. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was awesome. You're the best. This is so fun. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, 
and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.